Welcome to STEMiverse podcast episode 52. In this episode, Peter talks with Dr. Gillian Kenny. A creator at heart, Dr. Gillian Kenny is constantly on the lookout for opportunities to challenge traditional ways of thinking. As a result of her work, she was named one of the first superstars of STEM by Science and Technology Australia in 2017 and as one of Australia's top 100 most influential women by the Australian Financial Review and Westpac in 2014. As a founding director of Machinem, Gillian has led the company to develop innovative digital high school mathematics resources that are engaging and relevant to real life answering the age-old question, why do I have to learn this? In 2012, she co-founded the non-profit organization Power of Engineering, which runs nationwide events for female and regional year 9 and 10 students to inspire them about the engineering profession, showcasing its diversity, creativity, and most importantly, that it is an avenue to making a real difference in the world. This is STEMiverse podcast episode 52. STEMiverse is a podcast produced by Tech Explorations. Our mission is to help educators become awesome at teaching STEM, be it at home or in the classroom. Whether you are a professional or casual teacher teaching in a classroom or a parent or caretaker teaching at home, this podcast brings you the knowledge and experiences of practitioners, academics, entrepreneurs and lifelong learners who are passionate about education and strive every day to help our children prepare for life in a world of radical change and why not abundance. Well, thank you, Gillian, for joining me this morning on Stemiverse podcast. Uh, it's a beautiful day here in Sydney, blue skies, sun is out. How are things in Melbourne? I am jealous. Uh, thank you for having me, first of all. And look, I think it started out a little grey, but the sun is starting to peek through. So it's yeah. shaping up to be quite a nice day. A glorious Friday all around in Australia. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, um, you have quite an interesting story. I've, I've been... Uh, I've been watching you in a way. Oh. Uh, the the internet's uh, uh, helped me like learn a lot about you over the last I don't know couple of uh, maybe days that I've been looking into <laughs> this, and uh, you have quite a story to say. So how about you take the next few minutes to tell us about yourself? Uh, you, you can go as far back as you like, childhood. Mm -hmm. I'm personally very interested to know about specific moments in life that you feel like have changed you in a way and brought you to where you are now, and then take us to where you are actually now and uh, what is your role in education? Okay, well, uh, so my background is in civil engineering. However, I mean, if you look at who I was and certainly when I reflect on who I was in high school, that was not a predictable pathway for me. Hmm. When I was in school, I wasn't interested, didn't see the value in mathematics, for hmm. example. All I wanted to be was a lawyer like Ali McBeal. <laughs> I thought it was the best. Was it was a good show. one. Yeah, it was a good show. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that that's where I thought I was heading. And it was only a chance encounter that I even discovered engineering. It was a few months before I was due to start university. And I took a short-term job with 
an engineering company and it was my first ever exposure to it because I grew up in a really small town in regional Queensland and you know, we didn't have engineers, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of professionals, there was the town doctor, nurses and teachers. Yeah. And that was the extent of it. There was a shed in town that was called Haps Engineering Shed. And that's where they did welding. So to me, engineering was welding. <laughs> yeah. And um, it was through this, this job just before starting uni. I was doing admin, but um, like I say, it was my first exposure to engineering. And it's when I discovered that it's not welding, but it's actually about problem solving and creating solutions for people and for communities. Mm. And when I saw that, I think I had two thoughts. One was, this is awesome. And two, why didn't anyone ever tell me about this? Uh, Right. So, yeah, I, I switched my degree pretty swiftly and studied engineering instead. Wow. And, um, You know, I really enjoyed the process of going through my degree. I loved everything that I was learning. And then when I actually started working in engineering, I started to become a little bit disillusioned fairly quickly. And the disillusionment came from some of the conversations that I was having. um, And this wasn't across the board by any means, but it was with particular people who were saying things like, you know, the old, we do it this way because this is the way that it's always been done. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, you know, that really didn't sit well with me. I'm, I saw engineering as a means to, you know, solve some of the world's challenges. And, you know, that kind of thinking just didn't fit with how I saw the profession. And that's what led to my unease with, with the profession. And, So, I mean, this was only about a year out of university that this was happening. And I I sort of went through this time of not really knowing if I wanted wanted to stay in engineering. Right. Oh, can can I stop you there, Gillian? Because I think that's quite interesting. And I'd like to drill into that uh, in a minute. But I want to go back a little bit a few years prior to you starting your engineering school and mm-hmm. back to the company uh, where you worked for a while and you saw, I guess, uh, what engineering is. Like it's not mm. welding, right? Was yeah. there any particular person there that perhaps um, revealed to you what engineering is like? Perhaps um, somebody that operated like a mentor because I'm very curious to know how you went like from wanting to become a lawyer and basically mm. being in the verge of getting into the legal school, or the law mm-hmm. school, sorry, and then just within a few months totally changing your choice of mm. career into engineering. What made that so, what made that choice so fast well, and decisive? Yeah, so I think for me it wasn't necessarily one specific person, but it was being exposed to the world of engineering. So I was working as a project administrator. So an administrator on a specific engineering project. And this particular project was, I think it was called the Bogo Road Busway. So it was in Brisbane and it was the creation of a new busway. Hmm. And I guess it was just having that exposure to seeing that engineering were involved, like project management and just solving. It was the solving problems things mm, yep, yep. That, that really drew me to the profession and to the space because right. I guess 
when I was a bit younger, perhaps I didn't put so much stock in making a contribution, but by this stage, I, I think I was starting to become a little bit more aware and a little bit more interested in like who I would be in the world and right. yeah, and and how I might contribute. And yeah, seeing this in engineering is is what so that me. I guess that is a valuable lesson, right? Like seeing engineers, just like in any profession, it could be a doctor, it could be a lawyer, even seeing them in action in their natural habitat in a way yeah. allows you to learn so much more about mm-hmm. what to do rather than uh, what you may have heard or in, in yeah. other like smaller level encounters. And uh, I guess that's that's a lesson that, that all of us can learn from. It's like expose students to real life situations whether they're engineering mathematics and mm-hmm. uh, whatever that might be and that will help them get a much more accurate picture of absolutely what about. and that's the premise of um our work with power of engineering which we'll go into ah, um, yes <laughs> we can yeah. get to that um yeah so uh, if you'd like let's let's continue now with what happened or how you were feeling uh, after you graduated as a civil engineer and mm. uh, the issues that you saw around you know, the, the more traditional aspect of engineering. Let's continue doing things in a particular way because we've always done mm. it this way. Yeah, so uh, take right. us from there. Sure. And so, you know, like I was saying, that was it was quite challenging for me to hear that and to be exposed to that. So I, I sort of, I mean, in my youth, <laughs> which I was at this time, um, was a little bit hasty and I was like, look, if this is what engineering is, then I don't want to be a part of it. <laughs> <Where am> I? <laughs> um, however, I, I did, I was fortunate to have some very good mentors. So I spoke to a number of people about how I was feeling. And one of my mentors, David Hood, I distinctly remember a conversation with him and he said, look, if you don't like it, then what are you going to do about it? <laughs> um, which which kind of, I was taken aback. I was like, oh God. What? Okay. I'm supposed to do something about this? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Who am I to do this? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's a familiar feeling. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I was like, well, like, how can I do anything? Like, I don't know um, anything. <laughs> that's right. I'm just this little grad. And, uh, um, but he, um, you know, he, he kind of left me sitting with that for a while. And he was working with Queensland University of Technology as an adjunct professor at the time. And he offered, well, he asked if I would be interested initially in doing a PhD. My first reaction was absolutely not. Um, (laughs) I have- You passed such an opportunity. (laughs) Yes, I've done uni, I'm not going back. (laughs) I'm finally free. Um, But I did think about that for some time and, you know, came back to him to learn a little bit more about what what it would involve and, you know, why I might do a PhD. And um, uh, it was a great conversation and basically I left thinking that by doing a PhD I would be able to impact an area that was important to me. So the area for me was innovation hmm. in engineering. So, you know, going back to that, that comment of we do yeah. it this way because it's always been done. And that's what actually led me into doing my PhD. And I similarly, I quickly realised that uh, academia wasn't where I was going to end up. 
What, uh, why did you um, decide that? So I think for me, I really like the creation part of projects, seeing things coming to life, coming to fruition and being really involved in in delivering hmm. things. Hmm. And academia is more about the research side and the exploratory thinking. Yeah. Um, yeah. And perhaps I don't have the patience that's required. Yeah. So you are more like an action-oriented person. You want to be where yeah. the problems are instead of, yeah. you know, separate from problems. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I was just thinking, uh, <laughs> just um, I'm, I'm sidetracking a little bit now, but uh, what you just said, you know, being in the in where the action is, reminded me of me when I was a kid and I was watching MacGyver. I'm not sure if, oh, yeah. if you remember that. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> your <whole> generation. <laughs> so for me, MacGyver was what convinced me, like it was MacGyver and Star Trek, I've got to say, both of them together, uh, that mm-hmm. I wanted to be uh, an engineer. Uh, um, but it it's also what helped me separate, you know, the, the academia from the real life type of engineering. And, um, you know, my guy was always out in the field. He was um, using his uh, Swiss army knife to fix a problem in the field or sometimes a paper clip. And the same thing was happening mm-hmm. with the enterprise on Star Trek. They were actually explorers, not academics. So for me, mm-hmm. that, that makes um, the distinction, but both of them were like Spock on Star Trek and MacGyver in MacGyver were very strong academically, right? So that's how they brought, that's that's where they gained the skills that they were able to use out in the field in real life. So right. come back to to a previous discussion now after this little parenthesis. That's so, really cool though. Yeah. I just have to say, because I, like, I watched MacGyver growing up, but I never associated it with engineering. Hmm. Yeah. Well, my guy was a scientist, so he was a chemist uh, by profession, mm-hmm. but he was uh, he had s- mechanical skills. He was able to fix mm-hmm. things. Like Absolutely. He, he had knowledge yeah. in electronics. He had knowledge in you know, structural engineering and all around uh, awesome guy. Mm. Yes. <laughs> so just to come back to our previous discussions, you did innovation in your PhD. That was your topic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have decided to not stay in academia, but instead go out in the real world because that's where the problems are and you want to be close to problems. So how did that actually manifest? Like in what way are you now solving real world problems? Um, So it actually started uh, while I was doing my PhD. So the first thing that I started was a nonprofit organization called mm-hmm. Power of Engineering. Ah, I love and that name. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's pretty cool, I have to say. So Power of Engineering, I co-founded with another awesome engineer called Felicity Fury. Mm-hmm. Also, I guess there's a bit of a throwback to my experience in how Power of Engineering came about as well, because, you know, when I started that that first ever engineering or job at an engineering company, and I thought, I love this, but also why didn't anyone ever tell me about this? That's really at the core of why I wanted to create this organization mm-hmm. called Power of Engineering, because, well, I'll tell you what it is. So it's a nonprofit organization where we run one-day events for year nine and 10 students, predominantly girls and regional students. 
um, the events are designed to break down the myths and the stereotypes that exist about engineering Hmm. and also to provide an exposure to what the profession actually is. Yeah, like a big driver for me in starting this was because no one, like I didn't have that exposure. And so I thought, well, you know, how many other students are out there who are just like me, who don't choose professions, you know, like engineering, because they just didn't know about them. Yes, absolutely. When when did the uh, when did you start Power of Engineering? How far into its journey are you now? Uh, so we started that in March of 2012. So we're now in our, I mm. think, seventh year. So, yeah. So how, how did the uh, no, how did the journey from then to now go? Um, tell us some of the achievements. Like you could use numbers here. Like you say, we've helped like ten thousand students get into engineering. <laughs> yeah, I, I always okay. love numbers. <laughs> All right. So some of my favorites. <laughs> I do have favorite stats. Mm-hmm. So okay, one that I love is the fact that seventy-seven percent of students who attend our events change their mind from a no to a yes about considering a career in engineering. 77%? Yep. So um, (laughs) of the students who were initially a no before attending an event, 77% of those changed their mind to a yes, I would consider an engineering career. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So uh, I wonder how many of those students that they say yes after the event, you know, stay with it because I guess that's another challenge, right, is to... Mm Uh, we know kids from they can jump from one thing to the other. Actually, Absolutely. everybody does it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, shiny things are everywhere these days. So how do how like as a teacher, uh, mm-hmm. as as um, suppose uh, a CEO, founder of Power of Engineering, how do we keep the interest and uh, like the flame of the interest uh, alive for over the long term? At least until you know it's time to decide which career you want to choose as a student? Um, I think there's a a number of factors involved. So one is I just like continuing the conversation essentially. And, you know, that can be through like within the classroom and, you know, through the subjects that that we're teaching. Mm -hmm. It can be through attending similar types of events. So we specifically look at year nine and 10 and that's who our events are for. But, you know, there are so many organisations and we're all needed because we all have our own strengths and our own focuses. And so there are organisations that start much earlier than we do and there are organisations that progress further. So looking for opportunities to continue that engagement and... The teachers as well really do have a great influence and a great opportunity to influence. And, you know, through, over the years, we've had a lot of conversations with teachers and and that's the question that you just asked is a question that we get asked by teachers mm-hmm. is how do we continue this? Like, you know, the students are really excited and engaged today here, but then how do we continue this throughout the rest of the year? And it was that question that actually drove us to start our next venture, which is called Machinum, which is real-world mathematics resources. Right. Okay. Well, we're getting into uh, my favorite topic, mathematics. Oh, one of them, mm-hmm. actually, <laughs> I should say. Is I did pick on what you said earlier, uh, mm-hmm. that as a student, mathematics was not your favorite topic. 
And that's exactly how I felt, even though yeah. my father was a mathematics teacher. Perhaps that didn't oh, really? help things, you know. But yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we had the mathematician in the house. I remember we had like sessions in the, we had a chalkboard back then and he was trying to teach me equations and all that. And uh, I'd resist. Uh, it wasn't his fault, I've got to say. It's just, uh, you know, it's a connection between real and, um, and I wouldn't say not real, but uh, at, at that younger age, I couldn't see the connection between mathematics mm -hmm. and the real world. Mm -hmm. uh, but just fast forward to today and actually love mathematics. Like I am learning mathematics as part of my courses and I'm actually relearning them from scratch. Oh, so really? that, yeah, that, that came back. Actually it didn't come back because I never had it, but that, that grew over time yeah. as I saw yeah. uh, the power of mathematics. So there you go. You have Machinam uh, where you create curricula on mathematics to help teachers you know, teach mathematics in a way that students want to learn it. Uh, is that uh, correct <laughs> in yeah, any way? So it's essentially, um, we, we develop the resources, they're digital resources. We call them quests. So mm -hmm. students um, will take on a quest and through that quest, they'll be learning about the maths that they would be learning in class anyway. So it's all mapped mm -hmm. to the curriculum, but through the context of a real world scenario and not just scenarios that we would automatically think of in association with mathematics. So like, you know, one example that I like to throw out because it's something that people don't typically associate with maths is the student might take on the role of a fashion designer. And their task is to design the statement piece for the upcoming winter collection, which is a women's jacket. Hmm. And so through this quest, they're guided through the process of creating the design. And through that process, they're also learning the concepts of trigonometry and similar triangles, for example. Ah, right, right. So it's like a hypothetical project, essentially, that exposes them to mathematics, since mm -hmm. mathematics is a core tool for achieving the quest, right, the outcome. Yeah, that's right. And um, the way that it came about actually is because, so my, my I've got two co-founders, Felicity from Power of Engineering and mm -hmm. Claire Bennett as well. Yep. We're all engineers. And it came about from a conversation that we were having about our experiences in maths and um, saying, well, because I, I was really similar to you, Peter. I The yeah. reason I, you know, like maths as a teenager was because I couldn't see why I would ever use it. Um, <laughs> but it was when I became an engineer that my eyes opened and I was like, oh, it's everywhere. Yes. <laughs> and it's really <laughs> useful. <laughs> and so it was taking that thinking and saying like, okay, we use these concepts every day in the work that we do as engineers. What if students were learning, you know, through those concepts, like how we use them in the real world to create that connection for them so that they can see the relevance to mm. their future? So you grounded, you grounded the curriculum to real world situations. That's right. Yes. Because I can see here, so I'm looking at the Machinum website, so at www.machinum.com and around the middle of the page, that's where you state the, the three principles, perhaps. I'll call them principles of the work that you do there. So real life context, growth mindset approach and authentic learning. Are those the guiding principles? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
could you walk us through, like maybe start with authentic learning, um, because that that term can be used uh, in different contexts. And uh, I'd like to know what your definition of that is and how it helps okay. you with yeah. the curriculum. So how how we think of authentic learning mm. is that it's it's learning that's designed to connect what students are learning in school to real world issues, mm. problems, etc. And I mean that is the core premise behind our products. Yeah, so everything has to be connected to the real world. Yeah, that's right. And even that fashion example, like we've had people say, oh, but, you know, fashion designers don't actually do that. But um, like coming up with that, we, so our designers went to the studio of a high-profile Australian designer, um, spent a day with them, learnt about the processes that the designers use, you know, everything using AutoCAD, like an engineering program. And they were really surprised. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. One, how much maths was involved and two, how many of the designers actually took top level maths in high school as well. That's so interesting. So what you're saying is that fashion designers use AutoCAD, a tool Mm -hmm. that engineers use to build turbines for jets and bridges to create fashion, right? (laughs) That's what you're saying. Well, I never thought of that. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So, yeah, like our our scenarios are based on actually authentic real-world problems. Great. Now, what about real-life context? The, the, The way that I think of this is that now you you can connect students with engineers, for example, to see the mathematics actually being applied in practice. Is that what real life context is in your case in Machinim? I think I see the authentic learning and the real life context are being very closely related mm-hmm. and quite similar. And at this point, we don't provide those specific opportunities, but it's certainly through creating links to videos and to, ah, to right, different things. Right. Yeah. So it's, a, it's resources that they show the application of mathematics in real life, yeah. not necessarily taking them to mm. uh, organizations, labs, for example. No, Great. however, that's we do that through power of engineering. Right. So uh, how closely... Is power of engineering working with machine and like do those two aspects of your professional life talk to each other? Or I guess they do, but in practical terms. Yeah, they are linked, but surprisingly not as closely as we initially envisaged that they would be. Mm-hmm. And we certainly have uh, schools who have been to power of engineering uh, then have um, sort of become customers of Mackinum and vice versa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but there's there isn't like a specific say program where the students would start Mackinum and then go and do a power of engineering experience oh, and I then apply that. Which I mean, that's the ultimate. Yeah. Um, uh, we're not there yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So at the moment, they are two separate organisations. They've got their own mission statements, I guess, and uh, and purpose in life. Great. Now, I also want to ask about growth mindset and Mm -hmm. the growth mindset approach. Could you tell us what growth mindset is and then how is that implemented in the McKinnon curricula? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think growth mindset is something that's become really quite popular over the recent years, which Mm. is a great thing. 
because it is an important concept. And, you know, it's it's the concept that we're not natural, like in, in the context of maths, for example, it's not true that we're either a maths person or we're not a maths mm. person. Mm. You know, that, that that's a myth and that maths, like anything else, is something that we can get better with through intentional practice. Huh, right. So we have the ability to grow and to get better and it, it's around the mindset associated with that. So through Macanum, through the resources, that's the communication that is inbuilt through all of the resources. It's using specific, um, specific language to facilitate that mindset. And I mean, if teachers are interested in growth mindset specifically for mathematics, Joe Bowler, who is a professor of Stanford, has a, a website called YouCubed, Y-O-U. C-U-B-E-D, that is just completely dedicated to growth mindset in maths and it's got resources and articles and all sorts of things. Great. Yeah, well, we're going to include that in our show notes. And I was, now, as you were speaking about growth mindset, I, I'm also going to mention uh, Dr. Dwake. There's a great TED talk on mm. the growth mindset which um, if our audience hasn't uh, listened to, uh, they should definitely go and check it out. Uh, so Dr. Dweck has done a lot of work on this topic and um, also should mention deliberate practice. There is a book, uh, yeah, by Anders Ericsson who has written a book about this. Is So it's the, the concepts from Ericsson's book uh, came out as the 10,000-hour rule oh, in yeah. one of um, Malcolm Gladwell's books, right? Uh-huh. Uh, so it's deliberate practice is uh, the notion that given enough time where you use a time to specifically work on improving specific skills and assuming that you have appropriate instructions, so you basically just can't randomly learn things. You need to have some, uh, like a coach perhaps that can help you uh, with learning things such as playing the piano, doing mathematics or engineering, whatever it might be, then you can become world-class in it, right? Which mm-hmm. comes to the face of what at least I believed when I was a kid, that you're born with a particular natural gift in mm-hmm being good in mathematics or being good in sports or in music and that's uh, no matter like if you're lucky you'll be good if you're not lucky like find something else to do in your life right so -hmm. i guess that's what you are promoting in in your own work Mm -hmm. when it comes to building educational products using the growth mindset approach absolutely yes anybody can become can become good at maths yeah, there's a, a lot of psychology there. Like, how would a teacher try to explain this to a student who sees other students performing in a, like a very high level of competency in any subject, like mm-hmm. in mathematics? Okay, and I'm, I'm using mathematics because mathematics uh, is purely. I suppose a mental skill, unlike playing basketball, where you know being two meters tall does help, <laughs> and mm. a, no amount of work can assist you there if you're a short player. So how how can a teacher help a student who has that view that they're not naturally gifted to mm. go past that and you know start building 
a particular skill that they're lacking in? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, I guess the foundation is introducing the con- this concept of growth mindset. And mm. I think there's some uh, great guidance around that on the YouCubed website that you will be linking to. Mm-hmm. But it's also, you know, um, creating an awareness that we haven't all had the same experiences and, you know, our experiences have a really big impact on where we might be at a particular point in time. So with mathematics, for example, I know for myself growing up, I was really fortunate that I started learning the basics of maths well before I started school. My grandma taught me, she taught me, you know, reading and mathematics Um and so I, I was ahead of a lot of my, my peers um, mm. when it came to that by the time I reached school level. So your environment helped you in that as well. So environment is important to yeah. build a growth mindset. Absolutely. And I think a lot of times, you know, we'll see a result or we'll compare ourselves to other people without knowing the context. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Without realising, I mean, it, it might be the fact that they like have a tutor and they practice three times a week with a tutor or yep. like, you know, we, we just don't know. Um, yeah. The so. only thing we see is the performance time, like doing well in a test, for example. How come mm-hmm. that student always gets an A? Yeah. Um, and I'm always getting a B. So what you see is the result of the efforts, like the, the tip of the iceberg. So a, a teacher can explain that to a student, explain the concept of mindset and, and growth mindset, that every problem is solvable, uh, that uh, you know the brain is flexible and uh, has got plasticity. That means that it can be trained to do amazing things. Um, that, that changes life, doesn't it? Uh, if, if you understand those concepts early enough, oh, yes. Uh, what could the As impact I be? Wish, I wish I understood this concept when I was in school. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> it, it takes a look. <laughs> Sometimes you have to stumble across those things, but that, that's, I guess, that's where the power of a teacher comes in as well, or a mentor, oh, where yeah. they can identify issues like that in the psychology of a student and help them get past them could be just a you know a a quick chat on the side like Mm -hmm. it may not need like a whole semester worth of instruction to achieve that level yeah um i'd like to talk about teachers since we're talking about teachers now (laughs) and i know that Mm -hmm. in in mackinam you create curricula for students, but you also offer professional development opportunities. Is that true? And if that is true, can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, we do. And this is something that we started because, like you said, we create these resources for students to use, but we also wanted to give teachers the power to, you know, if they want to create things themselves um, to do that. So we offer a couple of professional development workshops. One is a workshop, we call it how to engage students in maths using real world context. And Mm. essentially it takes teachers through the building blocks that are at the core of our resources. And we introduce a process that they can use to create their own. So that's that's one. And then the second professional development we offer is a workshop that is specific to attracting and retaining girls in STEM. And so that's 
the language that we use, the key messages and uh, sorts of activities that we can use as well. So that is specifically designed to, I suppose, uh, help girls appreciate and um, consider mathematics and engineering, I guess, yeah. uh, as and, a career option. be able to see themselves mm. in mm. the sorts of professions. Yeah, the message has to be right there, right? Like, uh, so I guess Spock... <laughs> might not be the best role model for a girl to want to become an engineer, mm. right? Yeah, uh, that's right. I've got to say that the the latest uh, Star Trek incarnation mm-hmm. has a lot of very strong, powerful female role models, including in the space of engineering, but also leadership. So that's, uh, yeah. Oh, cool. It's I, worth I, checking I it, out. Check it out. I've never, uh, never gone into Star Trek, but that sounds pretty cool. So maybe I will check it out. Ah, yeah. Well, this, the new Star Trek is has gone like to great lengths to highlight the women of uh, the, the role of women in all traditionally you know, men-held roles on television. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, it's breaking new ground in other areas as well. Um, I'm <laughs> I'm going to leave that to the um, to our listeners to go in and check it out. Uh, the latest one, Discovery. So that's what I'm talking about. So it's on okay. television I'm series. <laughs> yeah, Star Trek Discovery. It's uh, amazing. Um, check it out because it really breaks a lot of uh, a lot of boundaries. I'd say on TV. So great. Uh, let's, uh, <laughs> that sounds really exciting. Uh, I'm going to link that in the show notes as well. So, um, yeah, let's let's come back to Earth. And uh, <laughs> uh, I was looking at your public profile, and you describe yourself as a creator at heart. So, from our conversation, I, I can suspect what that means. But <laughs> could you tell us a bit about that? Like, what what do you want that to mean, creator at heart? Um, yeah. Okay. So. You know, even ever since I was like a little kid, I always just loved building things and also being creative. So, you know, as a kid that might have looked like it could be anything from baking to um, like my parents built they built their own house and it was out of bricks and so there were these uh, (laughs) piles of bricks around and my brother and I would like create, build these really quite large and probably very dangerous structures that you know there were our castles and so you know i just loved constructing and so um, using the, you know, the house building materials you just uh use them as yeah. lego <laughs> exactly real world lego yeah <laughs> um so much fun um and then you know like in even my school projects uh would would turn into like these art creations like i remember in high school you know, for example, we all had to do an autobiography in year eight. And I mean, what was expected and what most people did was like, you know, you write it out and print it out and that's it. But mine was a work of art. <laughs> um, um, so, I mean, it was in a book, granted, but it was a book that wouldn't even come close to closing because there were like little, all of the decorations and that that were themed to do with the, the oh. part of the life that I was going through on that page. And <laughs> um, oh, so, right. it, so it's like, it was, <laughs> I guess it was illustrated, but you also had uh, attachments. It was like, uh, 
uh, various yeah. artifacts stuck on the on the page. Is that yeah. what you did? So that yeah. you couldn't close yeah. the book. Yeah. Very frustrated. <laughs> um, and I mean, that's I I just love I love that. Yeah. And you know, I guess how that's translated now into what I do with my life is it's really the process of you know, coming up with the inputs, the skills, the different pieces and how they all come together to mm. to make something new and valuable. Yeah. So, for instance, with Mackinum, that might be creating a quest, you know, yeah, going out, yeah. understanding how these professionals use maths, like really, and then thinking through the components about how that will fit together into, you know, a storyline, the curriculum elements, and then, you know, making it all come, the illustrations as well and how that yeah. all comes yeah, definitely. Like I, I understand now. And just to take it one step further, I think um, you should not also discount the creativity that goes into building organizations. And you've built oh. two of them, right? And that's yes. probably absolutely. Like, um, we we yep. tend to forget how creative is the the, the creation of an organization, like all the mm-hmm. moving parts in it, and mm-hmm. know how long it takes to build something like that. Um, a very creative process as well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Gillian, yeah. um, I've got one last question before we go sure. into rapid fire questions, which oh. I call it rapid fire questions, but actually they're never rapid fires. They, they take long. <laughs> but anyway, we'll get to that later. So okay. uh, I wanted to get back to your PhD research. I know that your PhD was in the area of engineering and innovation. I think it has something to do with water and water innovation. Mm. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I was exploring the the drivers, the barriers and the enablers that mm. allow for innovation to arise in the Australian water sector. That is Perfect. Um, I'm saying that because New South Wales right now is going through a drought. Like, yeah, I think I, 100%, right? That's, I, just, I was just going to yeah. say, I saw that on the news just before we started this conversation. Yeah, 100% of the state is in drought and I think a large extent of it is in severe drought, which means that basically everything is dying on the land in those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so apart from that, um, what are the couple of lessons perhaps that you've learned in the course of doing your PhD in particular, because it's in the area of innovation and engineering, lessons that teachers and engineers in general can take with them in order to improve their work, whether it's teaching, whether it's designing a bridge. Is there something that you can advise us from your research? Um, I think some of the, the key things that did come out of mine. So I was looking a little bit more at the human element rather mm-hmm. than the technical elements. Yeah. And the key things were the importance of taking a long-term view because mm-hmm. um, particularly in in politics and in business, it's, it's very easy to take a shorter term view. So we'll, you know, in, with business, for example, we're looking for the payback as quickly as possible. So, yeah, you know, we invest yeah. money to you build a bridge or to do whatever, but there needs to be a payback. And it's very normal to look for a quick return, but the long-term view is what can enable the most appropriate solutions overall. And so it's harder to do. It's harder to see the benefit in that long-term thinking, but it's absolutely critical. 
And so that's, that's like I say, both in business but also in politics and in policy. Yeah, um, yeah. So particularly in water, we see that the, you know, a particular government might be in power, they'll make an investment, research will commence, and then the power will change. And what sometimes happens is investment that's gone in so f- into a particular project so far might just be cut and the work's been lost. Yeah. And we're going back to square one. Um, back to the beginning, yeah. And in, like, I understand that in many aspects of engineering, when, especially when safety comes into play, uh, engineers want to be very, uh, let's say, uh, what's the right word here? Uh, conservative in yeah, the solutions absolutely. that they, they apply so they, they don't want to change. They want proven solutions. Is education like that or is education a better place where we you know, you can try little experiments that may lead to a more innovative way of teaching and learning? What do you think about that? I think there is absolutely an opportunity I mean, both in engineering as well, um, but also in education to, I love what you say, to try little experiments. It doesn't have to be this, you know, large overhaul change to create, to do something differently. It can just be, you know, try something new in one class. The downside really isn't going to be that uh, I mean, the year levels that we deal with particularly, which is year 9 and 10, I think uh, it's a great time in a student's journey to, to do some experimentation because it's not, you know, it's not where they're just coming into high school. It's not a transition year and it's not the the final, you know, couple of mm, years. Mm. Um, high stakes. Exactly. The stakes are much higher. Um, so it's it's such a such a great window to to try something a little bit different you know like like I said the downside if it's you're trying something in one class or you know over a week or a month it's it's not going to be that large and you never know what good might come out of it yeah yeah and the learnings uh, they come Mm -hmm. out of experiments um uh, worth it (laughs) in my opinion (laughs) yes okay rapid fire questions I'm just looking at the clock I'm thinking where has the time gone? <laughs> I know. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, rapid fire question. So I'd like to know if there is a person or persons, it could be multiple persons, real or imaginary, like in my case, Spock, that have mm. been very influential in the way that you teach or you think. Hmm. Oh, gosh. Um <laughs> I'd say the answer would have to be yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's one which is kind of surprising that this is what popped into my mind, but it's these fiction books and the character is Kay Scarpetta and she's a woman who is, she's like a medical examiner. She's mm-hmm. uh, also a degree in, I guess, maybe some kind of um, medical forensics and also a law degree. And as I grew up uh, sort of as a teenager reading these books and, I mean, I still read them now when the new ones come out. And I just admired her so much growing up because she was just such a smart woman and she was just so very logical and methodical about the way that she would think through things and solve these crimes. Um, 
And that had a very, I think, had a very big influence on me growing up. And however, in saying that, I think as I have become a little bit older and a little bit more experienced, I have not started to move away from that because I think that's still the foundation of how I think, Mm -hmm. but I've started to become more open to relying on or or taking into account like, you know, gut, gut feel and I guess the creativity side of thinking as mm. well. So just just the logic, but becoming a little bit more holistic. Yeah, of- yeah gut, gut feeling is good. I, I was just going to say, uh, gut feeling is good as long as you know that it is a gut feeling and needs to be examined a bit more closely. Well, I've been doing a lot of thinking about that. Yeah, because the thing that I find interesting about gut feeling is what I suspect is that it's, Things that, um, you know, might be drawing on past experience or on things that we've heard or read, but it's not, oh, what's the word? Oh, like it's subconscious. Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, so it's it's that subconscious thought, mm. even though we, we might not be uh, consciously aware of something, an experience that we're drawing on, that I think that's where... It, that's what it contributes to the gut feeling. Yeah, yeah. Was Case Carpeta operating in, in a similar way? Um, or was she going she more towards was, her? actually. Right. Yeah, yes. Now that I think about it, but um, it's not not something that, like, I didn't notice that so much when I was younger. Right, awesome. I'm going to have the link to Case Carpetta's uh, a fictional character biography on Wikipedia. I didn't know that Wikipedia had that. <laughs> but <laughs> Wikipedia also has biographies of fictional characters. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to include that there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's, uh, let's do a couple more. Um, so you're a very busy person, very creative person as well. Are there any computer applications uh, that help you with your productivity, you know, with staying focused and productive and efficient that you want to tell us about? Hmm. Um, I don't use anything very special, I don't feel. Um, I guess just in terms of facilitating teamwork. So Mm -hmm. like for power of engineering, for example, it's completely volunteer run and volunteers come from all over Australia. Hmm. And so to to make that work, you know, the organisation uses tools like Trello. Oh, yeah. Yep, to manage tasks and so, you know, see where see where things are at, who's accountable, when they're due, and that just creates complete transparency. Yeah. And, you know, for both Power of Engineering and Mackinac, we use Slack, which takes all of our communications off email, yeah. sort of groups them, makes it's it's just so much easier to to manage our communications and go back to them and find them when yes. we need. Yeah, Slack is awesome. Mm-hmm. So Slack is like instant messaging, but it's like yeah. on steroids because uh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot more ability. You can you can sort of group conversations and not just the the typical instant messaging that we think of. That's great. Thank you for that. So my next rapid fire question is about new educators. So imagine that a new teacher comes out of. Uh, university and they're ready to start the first class. What would you advise them? Uh, they, they are tasked to teach STEM. What would you advise them? And the reason I'm asking that is because STEM is not it's not a single thing. It's not like asking somebody to teach geography, right, or history. It's kind of a mixed bag of many things. 
that's perhaps what makes it scary for a lot of teachers. So I'd like to ask you, what would you advise new educators that are getting ready to teach STEM? Um, I think what I would say is to think about, for you, why is it important? So, Mm -hmm. and sort of using that as a starting point. So for me, the reason I'm committed to power of engineering and machina, for example, is not because I want everyone to grow up and become mathematicians. It's about the skills that I believe STEM uh, equips people with. So, you know, those those creative thinking, the critical thinking, the ability to look at a problem and to break it down into its component parts and then to think about, okay, what do we already know? What do we need to find out? How might we find that out? And to go through that process. So um, at the base, that's what the value I think STEM provides Mm. or training in STEM provides. (laughs) And so that's where I would start is, you know, what do you really want to get out of it? And how might you go about that? Yeah, this is so profound, isn't it? Like, we think that STEM is about science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and and a few other things that we can attach to those. But it's really more about life skills, it's about how you Mm. think. Um, And we do that by using real-world tools that have got a proven track record of improving people's lives. And uh, it's really about life. So, yeah, thanks for that. (laughs) All right. Um, Gillian, are you on social media? How do people can get in touch with you if you'd like that, of course? <laughs> you may not want people to get in touch with you, but what's the best way for you uh, to do so? Okay, so social media, I'm on uh, Twitter yeah. at Jilly Kenny. I am also on Instagram, and I believe it's the same, or it might be Jilly.Kenny. I'm okay, we'll uh, at Gillian Kenny. And then an email address, if people have an interest, is um, the best one is probably curious at macanum.com. Got it. Thank you. Yeah, social media is just, uh, uh, let's say, the the new water cooler, right? It's it's where we can get to know people, get into conversations. (laughs) So uh, I guess they just... uh, uh, I know that teachers have a preference for Twitter and for Facebook. Mm. I could be wrong, but I, I think from your experience, um, did you say that you're on Instagram as well? I am, yeah. So on Instagram, because I'm not very familiar with that particular media, I'm more on Twitter and on Facebook, but on Instagram, it's all about photos, right? Mm. So you post photographs from your workshops, I guess, uh, from places where that you visit, etc. So it's a very visual place. That's right. So yeah. And it's something I'm, st- I'm still getting used to as well. Mm. So I haven't been on Instagram for that long, but I'm, I'm trying to do more of it. So. Yes, me too. I'm exploring all these media at the moment. Uh, yeah. And there's, there's a bunch of others that are coming out as well. So uh, I need mm. more time to explore <laughs> <laughs> the internet. All right. Yeah. Well, Gillian, really uh, appreciate your time this morning. Uh, thank you very much. Like it was a, a very interesting conversation. The time has really passed quickly. Hi, so thank like, you for having me. It's been wonderful. Yeah. And uh, I wish you uh, a great day down in Melbourne. I hope the sun comes out and um, hmm, I might go out, take Einstein for a walk around the block <laughs> this morning oh, and uh, take advantage of this. So Einstein is my dog. He's, I, I gathered, yeah. <laughs> he's sleeping now. <laughs> right. Thank you very much and have a good day. Thank you. 
that's all for this episode. The notes for this episode that include links to many of the resources mentioned and information on how to get in touch with Gillian are available on our website, techexplorations.com forward slash p forward slash stemiverse. Each episode comes with its own page on the Tech Explorations website and a goldmine of information in the notes. This Stemiverse podcast episode was produced by Tech Explorations. Do you have any questions or suggestions? Would you like to nominate a friend or colleague to be our guest? Please email us at pa at texplore.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for the name of our podcast, Stemiverse. That's S-T-E-M-I-V-E-R-S-E. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next time.